morning, everybody. Just found out his said, take a pastor out to coffee. Nice work. Oh, nice work. Hey, good morning. Nice to see you. How's everybody doing? All right. I'm so excited about our random eggs of kindness. This is going to be fantastic fun. Good stuff. Uh, Tell us a story. However that goes, tell us a story. We'd like to hear how that's going on in your world. So that will be fun, something to look forward to. Uh, Oh, and if you're putting those window stickers on your car, on the back of your car, drive nice. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, yeah, me too. Guys make me nervous. All right. I can't wait. I just can't wait for Easter this year. I'm so excited about the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And, you know, it's weird because you can, you can be a follower of Jesus for a long, long time, and you can co- sort of get used to that. It's like, well, I know Jesus rose from the grave, and it sort of can become like routine. Look, resurrection is never routine. It's never routine. And we get to celebrate that. So let's invite some other people along to celebrate that with us. It's going to be a good time. Uh, I'm excited about some other things that are going on at Lakeside as well. I want to tell you about these before we get into Scripture together today. Uh, We started asking a question a couple of years ago uh, that went like this. We said, what can we do as a church to bless the world over the next 10 years? And we're always looking for ways to bless the world. The whole random eggs of kindness is about how do we bless our neighbors. We talk about oikos a lot. We talk about those 8 to 15 people that God has put kind of in the front row of your life. And he says, I want you to bless them and love them and care for them in the name of Jesus. We do that stuff all the time. And that's about changing our little world, influencing, blessing our little world. But a couple of years ago, we said, what could we do that was a big step to bless the world? And so we came up with this next 10 project. It's actually three projects or three buckets of resources that we're trying to gather together and then give away to others, do something for others. And uh, while I was gone in India uh, last month, uh, we passed the second year anniversary of our next 10 initiatives. And so what we said two years ago was, let's take three years, give a bunch of resources to make this happen so that we'll bless the world over 10. And so we're now a couple years into it, and I thought, oh, let's just take a time out and celebrate victories that have happened, wins that have happened in that journey. So let me just give you some updates about what's going on with Next 10, okay? So we had three buckets. One is a missions bucket. We said, let's do some projects for missions beyond just supporting missionaries, beyond just ongoing ministries that happen, which we support through our missions uh, budget. But we said, let's, let's build something for somebody. So on our very first weekend of Next 10, we gave together over $200,000. So we wrote a check for $200,000 to Way Ministries in Malawi so that they could buy land for their school. And they had land in mind. That one didn't work out, so they're still looking. But they've got that money in the bank, ready to go. When, they, when the land is available for them, boom, they're going to have land for their school. And by God's grace and your generosity, that happened. That's amazing. Yeah, you want to go? Yeah. Now, since February of 2014, the last two years, we've been collecting money in that missions budget for our next project in the missions side of this thing. And that's for... Uh, this ministry we have right here in town called Folsom's Hope. And uh, so on April 2nd and 3rd, we're going to have Sawa Kasabian, who's a lakesider and the leader of Folsom's Hope. She's going to be with us up on the platform. We're going to hand her a check on that weekend for $300,000. Yeah. 
like, that's just fantastic. And they're going to be able, you know, the Lord's working some miracles in them and through them to be able to get some property on the campus of uh, Theodore Judah School here in town. And we're just going to, that's seed money to get this, the whole process of the building started with them. So make sure you're with us on April 2nd and 3rd, the weekend after Easter, because we're going to hand that check over to Sawa on that weekend, okay? And then we're going to go from there on the mission budget. Our next project after that will be to raise funds for a huge water project in Ethiopia to really bring literally clean, fresh, close water to thousands of people in Ethiopia. So that's next. We'll give you more information as we go along this year on that one. Then the next budget uh, bucket that we were trying to fill with resources to be able to make something happen that changes the world and blesses the world is we said we have a big calling to raise up leaders for the next generation of the church. So it's not just about what we're doing now. It's like, well, who's going to lead the church as we go along, you know, year after year and, and season after season? And so we have, over the last two years, hired eight what we call protégés, eight young leaders who have served with us in various parts of our ministry, children's ministry, student ministries, worship ministries, those kinds of things. And uh, I just want to give you a, an update on how that's going. So uh, one of our protégés is Jameson Hebert. You know Jameson, he played the drum, drums for us today. And uh, Jameson, is, he leads in here, he leads a lot in the family room next door. Uh, he's going to spend the next year focusing on, on leading worship uh, really leading worship leaders in our student ministries and really raise up leaders in our student ministries for that. Uh, we have Ryan Huckabee who served for a couple of years. He just resigned from the protege program because his wife gave birth to their third baby. Yeah, that's pretty exciting anyway, and, but um, I think something had to give. He was working full-time, going to school full-time, working for us as a protege, and he's got a wife and three kids. Yeah, it was a good idea for him to quit for a while. Uh, but Ryan has led hugely, highly um, effectively in our leadership summit that we host every summer here at Lakeside. He's been a leader of that. When we hosted the Corner Fair last October, he was the main driver in that Corner Fair. He's a protege. He's a young leader making all of that happen that blessed about 10,000 Lake uh, Folsom and, and Eldorado Hills residents, Orangeville residents all around us in the Corner Fair. Uh, let's see, we've got Tony Butcher. Tony uh, has been working in Encounter. Uh, we, he is one of our really good teachers in our student ministries, and uh, we always try and give our protégés a project. So you're not just teaching and learning how to teach, although that's really important. We also give you a project so you learn how to lead others in some direction. And so he led uh, last fall's all-nighter for our high school group. We had 140 high school kids who spent the whole night together out in the community doing fun activities and things, and Tony put all that stuff together to make that happen. Biggest outreach we've ever done in our high school group here at Lakeside. Uh, let's see, Taylor Caruso. Uh, it works in our middle school ministries. She's 19 years old. She just put together this... this uh, ministry training program, uh, teaching program called Life Hurts, God Heals. She coordinated adult leaders with students who are uh, struggling with things in life, have pain in life, are at risk in life, and she's brought the leaders and the kids together and is working on Life Hurts, God Heals, and doing a fantastic job with them. She's 19 years old, I think, making that happen. It's amazing. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Oh, we have Rachel Blackburn. Rachel uh, works in our, middle, in our high school ministry. She's our small group leader. We have 95 students in small groups every week in high school ministry because Rachel's making that happen. And we believe that's the strongest place where they will grow up as disciples of Jesus is in those small groups. 95 kids every week. 
It's beautiful. Uh, we have Sarah Hall, whom you know. She leads in our worship team. She's kind of just getting started in her protege journey. We have Kodiak Miller, just getting started working with middle schoolers and just beginning his protege journey. And then, last of all, of the eight, we had... Department, ...the nursery in our Kids Fest department. And all these, all these people are like under 30, mostly under 25, and learning what it means to serve Jesus, to love Jesus, and to lead other people for the sake of Jesus. Wow. And you guys make that happen. So yeah, it's good. Really good stuff. And then lastly, we've got this other bucket over here. This is called a ministry freedom bucket. We have some debt on our buildings. We have about a $2 million debt on the block next door and about $3.5 million on the rest of the property. And uh, the $2 million debt is due in five years, starting, the clock started three years ago. We said, you know what, we had, let's get rid of some of this interest. Let's get rid of payments. Let's, you know, same thing you would do with your house. Like, what can we do to change this around? And so we started putting money in this bucket over here. And uh, right now, as of now, in the last two years, we have collected in this bucket over $1.3 million toward that $2 million debt, which says we are right on track. So again, you guys, thank you for that. That's your generosity. And I just, I just wanted to hear all of that. When we get done with that payment, by the way, which we'll do next year, uh, when we get done with that, we're going to snowball all those payments over to the $3.5 million debt and get this thing wiped out. That's not to say we'll never have debt again. It's not to say we won't do another building. It's not to say we're going to, you know, just be happy right there. But that's what we're doing to take care of those finances these days. Good? Now, I, all of that uh, to lead into a couple things. Number one, highest priority for me today is I want to say thank you to you who have been contributing to that. I know God provides resources. I know God's the one who moves in our hearts to do things like this. But some of you have stepped up and said, hey, I want to be involved. I want to help make that happen. And I just want to say thank you. We, don't, we say thank you to our Kids Fest leaders. We say thank you to people that work in student ministries. We th say thank you to the people that mow the lawn. But we sometimes forget to say thank you to the people that give generously to make the work happen. And so some of you, you made a commitment and you've been following through with that. And so I want to say thank you to you. It's beautiful. Some of you made a commitment and have gotten behind in that, and you're worried about that. Let me just tell you this. My wife and I made a commitment that stretched our faith, and we're behind. So just so you know where some of us are, right? But we sort of knew we were going to be behind because we had two weddings in year one. <laughs> so we said year two is catch-up, and year three is like, okay, let's, let's hammer this thing home. So that's kind of where our journey is. Some of you may be in that kind of spot. That's cool. Uh, ask God so you can keep being faithful in that journey. That's beautiful. Some of you have been giving to Next 10 without having given us a commitment card. We didn't know you're going to do this, and you've been giving generously anyway. That's wonderful. Who cares if you made a commitment and you're giving anyway? That's like, that's a beautiful thing as well. And then some of you maybe have been here new in the last couple of years and you didn't get a chance to get in on this, or maybe some of you were with us at the time and you said, I'm just going to wait and see if it goes well. <laughs> it's going well. And so we put some cards in the chair pocket, some commitment cards. If some of you say, hey, I'd love to be involved and make some contributions to Next 10 and to bless the world over these next 10 years, uh, we got one year left on our commitment, so that's all we're asking at this point. But if you want to jump in and do that, the cards are in the chair pocket. You can fill those out, drop it in the basket a little bit later, and uh, let's just watch what the Lord does through generosity that he brings through our church. Cool? All right.
Good. Thank you, guys. Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into Scripture. Father in heaven, we love you. We love what you do among us. We're so grateful to you. Uh, your generosity, as you have poured it out into our hearts, is amazing. And Lord, I'm not even talking financial. I'm just talking about your grace that comes into our lives when you open up our eyes and our hearts to Jesus. So thank you for that. Thank you for him. Lord, thank you for the generosity that has come for Next 10. Uh, we're so blessed and grateful for all that you've done through us and in us these ways. So thank you for that. And Lord, I ask for us today, we, we want you to work in our lives. We want you to shape our path that we're on in this life. We want you to be honored through us. And today, we want you to do something in our heart through your word that, that shapes us and shapes our families, shapes our households, shapes our relationships at work. So we invite you in today to us through our Lord Jesus. Amen. Have you ever considered, uh, hopefully you have because we started talking about it already, but have you ever considered how much we all live in the same house? How much we all look the same? How much our households all look the same? We all live in the same house. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, or whether you have in your household introverts and extroverts, we all live in the same house. We all have the same pain. We all have the same hopes. We all have the same dreams. We all have the same drama or similar kinds of drama. We all live in the same house. Every house represented here, whether it's a house that's full of people or whether it's a house of one person, we all have houses that tell stories. Every house, every household. Some of the homes that we live in, some of the families that we live in are broken families. Some are blended families. Some are bruised families. But we all live in the same house. We have aspirations that we want to soar up to. And they're similar from one house to another house to another house. We want what is good for ourselves and for our neighbors. We want to reduce pain in our world and in our neighbor's world and in the whole world if we could want that. We all live in the same house. When, I, when we look at our houses, we look at our households, we look at the relationships that we have, whether they're in certain walls that are defined by a house, or whether they're in our, what we call this oikos, these people that are around us, or whether it's the people that, are, that work near us, we have relationships there that we share. And in those relationships, we have communication patterns. And sometimes our communication patterns are not so healthy. In fact, the way I look at this is when your communication patterns at home are healthy, your home is probably healthy. And if your communication patterns at home are not healthy, your home is not healthy. And so if we all live in the same house, we're all kind of going through the same kinds of issues as human beings. And if communication affects all that happens in our families, in our households, how do we deal with that one issue? How do we deal with communication in our family so that it becomes healthy, so that it becomes strong. No matter what stage we're in, no matter what the specifics are in our own household, how do we learn to communicate better in a healthy, life-giving way? That's what I want. In my, in my communication at home, I would love to have hope-filled, life-giving conversation. 
hope-filled, life-giving communication. That's what I would like to see. And I'd like to know, for you and for me, I'd like to know, what would it be like if we could be at our best in the most crucial conversations? You know, when the, when, the, when the conversation's hard, when it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's like we got conflict going on in the, in the most crucial conversations. What would it be like if you could be at your best then? Because I find I'm, I'm at my best when the conversation doesn't matter a lot. You know, when there's no pressure, when there's no conflict, then I'm a pretty good communicator. But bring pressure in, bring conflict in, bring stress into the conversation. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not that good at it. You go, come on, Pastor Brad, you're, you know, you're a good communicator. You, I'm sure you do great at home. Yeah? <laughs> Are you sure? I'm an introvert. By the time I get done using all my words with you guys all weekend long, I'm exhausted. I got nothing left to talk about. And I've got no wisdom left to be able to give. And so I I struggle with the same things you struggle with in my conversations at home, in my communication with home. But I want them to be good. What if I could be at my best in the most crucial conversations in my life? Joseph Grenny uh, uh, gave a talk at the Leadership Summit two years ago. So we host the Leadership Summit every August. Sometimes some of you people, you go, some of you people. (laughs) Some of, you, some of y'all, you, you, you go, I'm not going to Leadership Summit because I'm not a leader. It's not for me. And every year I'm, I'm telling you, look, you got to go because you're going to learn some things that are going to be hugely helpful to you. And if you would have been at the summit two years ago and heard Joseph Grenny talk about crucial conversations, it would have changed your perspective on every relationship you have. And it's coming again in August. And when the sign-ups get open, sign up for the summit because it's going to be really helpful. Anyway, Joseph Grenny, that was a commercial Sorry. Uh, So Joseph Grenny spoke a couple years ago, and he talked about crucial conversations. He wrote a book about it. I highly recommend the book. But uh, he said this, crucial conversations happen when the stakes are high, emotions are strong, and opinions differ. You ever have conversations like that? Yeah, conversations in your household where the stakes are high, emotions are strong, and opinions differ. Conversations at work where the stakes are high, the emotions are strong, and opinions differ. Conversations on your softball team. Well, maybe, I mean, who knows? I don't know the relationship you have on your softball team or, or whatever other recreational things you do. You have conversations in your life and in your household, most likely, where sometimes the stakes are high. You ever talk about money? You ever talk money, about money in your household? Then the stakes are high. If it's a money talk, stakes are high. I guarantee it. Stakes are high. You who are married, you ever talk about sex? Stakes are high. Immediately, I just can tell you, that's, that's how it is when you have those kinds of conversations. When you talk about desires, when you talk about dreams, when you talk about long-term planning, when you talk about maybe possibly relocating, when you talk about retirement, when you talk about those things, the stakes are high. Sometimes in your household, you have conversations where the stakes are high. And sometimes in those conversations, the emotions are strong. Do you have children? I mean, any, I don't care what age. Because when you have conversations about your children, the emotions are strong. doesn't matter if they're like three months old. Then the emotions are strong. 
and the sleep is low, so <laughs> stressful, right? But then you have, you have toddlers, and, and, then this, and then the emotions run high. And then you have elementary school children, and middle school, and high school, and then you have adult children. And then you start waiting for a grandchild. Man, the emotions are high in all those kinds of things. That becomes potentially a crucial conversation. But if you have parents in your life, whether your parents are, you know, still in their 50s, whether your parents are in their 60s or 70s, if you have parents, you have conversations sometimes about them or with them, and the emotions are strong. Again, when you talk about sex roles in your family, emotions are high. When you talk about uh, dysfunction, Emotions are high. When you talk about personal failures, emotions are high. When you talk about roles that you play in your household, when you talk about expectations in your family, when you talk about faith and spirituality, emotions are high, are strong. Stakes are high, emotions are strong, and opinions differ. You ever... You have more than one person in your family. Do you ever have, like, conversations where, you, where opinions differ? If you don't, one of you is dead. <laughs> or they might as well be because they're not inputting anything. So, you, you know, you, if you have more than one person in a room, you have more than one opinion, and now you have a conversation, and opinions differ. And when the stakes are high and emotions are strong and opinions differ, now you have a crucial conversation. And they're crucial because they can change the course of things, but they're crucial because they can also bring great disaster. They're crucial conversations. And they happen in your family all the time. They happen in your workplace all the time. And what would it be like if you could be at your best in the most crucial conversations? There's an example of a crucial conversation in Acts chapter 15 in the Scripture. If you have your Bible, in fact, why don't you open up to this. Acts chapter 15, it's the story of Paul and Barnabas. They've been around the Mediterranean area, the Roman Empire, starting churches and bringing people to faith in Christ and then starting churches. And they, they get this church going and they move to another town and, and do the whole thing all over again. They got churches started everywhere. And they came back to their home base in Antioch, which is, uh, which is up in what is now Syria, and uh, they got back to their home base, and then this, this conversation began. Uh, Acts chapter 15. By the way, we've got Bibles on the chair next to you. If you don't have one, you can use one of those. We've got the uh, Version app on your smartphone. If you look up Version, go to the live section. You'll find a, a set of notes for Lakeside Church for this weekend. So if you want to do that, that's cool too. Acts 15. Uh, let me just read a fir- the first couple of verses. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. All right, let's just stop there. Here's a crucial conversation. Right? Here's here's Paul and Barnabas. They got churches started among Gentile people. Gentiles were the consummate outsiders to the Jews. In the first century, all the early Christians were Jews. 
That's where Jesus came, was to his people, the Jews. And that's where the gospel started out, was with Jews. And so the early believers were Jewish believers. Now Paul and Barnabas are going out to the Greek part of the world and the Roman part of the world, and they're giving the gospel. And some of those Gentiles are putting their faith in Jesus also. That's beautiful. We'd say that's beautiful. But there were some people who piped up, and they said, these, these people were from the party of the Pharisees. So they were Pharisee Christians, which is a frightening thought. You know, and, and, and yet I am one of those. Pharisees were like perfectionists. I am one of those. And the, and the perfectionist Pharisee Christians, they said, all right, it's all okay. We, we acknowledge it's all okay for Gentiles to come to faith in Christ, but, but they're going to have to be circumcised. They're going to have to follow the law. They're going to have to keep the rules just like we do. Now the stakes are high. Because the stakes we're talking about are the path to salvation, the path to a relationship with God, the path to eternity. Those are high stakes. And the emotions are strong because we're talking about Jew versus Gentile. We're talking about races, ethnicity, racism. Emotions are always strong when it comes to those kinds of conversations. Who's inside? Who's outside? And opinions differed. There was a sharp dispute between Paul and Barnabas and the people who wanted to change the way the gospel was being presented. That's the makings of a crucial conversation right there in the Bible. What happens in your home, what happens in your workplace happens in the Bible. What happens in, in your family happens in the family of God. It happened in the first century. It happens in the 21st century. It happens. Crucial conversations. Stakes are high, emotions are strong, and opinions differ. Now, in Acts 15, I'm not going to read the rest. You can go back and read the rest of that story, but they resolved that conflict. And Paul, who was in on that, learned some things about how these kinds of conversations resolve so that they are not just crucial conversations, but they're productive conversations. And he gives us some insight into that in another passage in Scripture, uh, Philippians chapter 4. So again, if you have your copy of Scripture, turn over to this. Philippians chapter 4. Let me read uh, for you starting in verse 2. Philippians 4 verse 2. Paul writes this. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Paul had started this church in Philippi, been there personally. He led people to faith in Christ when he was in prison one night. He started this church, and then he left it, and they were on their own, doing their own thing, and they had a lot of struggles. They had a lot of hard times because he kept writing back to them and saying, rejoice, have joy, uh, you know, celebrate what God is doing among you. Rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So he's trying to you know, build up their joy factor in their life, but he, re- he finds out. He gets a message from somebody. He finds out that there's two women in this church in Philippi who are just having a bad time together. They're having a conflict, and their conflict's not just between the two of them. It's starting to affect the whole family, the whole church. Their names are Yodia and Syntyche. You know, it would not be cool to have your name recorded in the Bible because you were having a fight. You're going to get to heaven someday, and you're going to meet this person named Yodia, and you're going to go, you're the one. She's going to go, it wasn't just me, it was Syntyche. So never mind. So... So that's the deal. He goes, look, Yodia, Syntyche, get along in the Lord. You've lost your harmony. You forgot what it's like to be in unity together. And you're affecting everybody else. They're having a crucial conversation. And Paul gives us some instructions to say, hey, here's what happens when you have a crucial conversation coming up and you need to deal with this. There are several things you can do, but he says, let me give you one thing to do. He says, I want, to give you, I want to give you some words that will help you when you tell yourselves clever stories in the midst of your crucial conversations. You ever tell yourself clever stories? Joseph Grenny calls them clever stories. He calls them clever because it's a story you tell yourself so that you can justify your own bad behavior toward your other person in the conversation. It goes like this. He said, clever stories are the intermediate step between what others do and how I feel. So somebody in your household does something, and immediately you have an emotional response. You go, it's just that fast. You did that, and now I'm angry, or now I'm hurt, or now I'm, you know, whatever the emotion might be. I'm a man, so I only think there's two, but, you know, whatever the emotion might be. And you got all this emotion going on. You go, you know, that's just how it is. You do something, and I feel bad about it. Granny says, whoa, whoa, there's an intermediate step between what they do and how you feel. It's called a clever story. And you tell it in half a heartbeat. And the reason you tell it is because you've been dwelling on certain things in your household. You've been dwelling on certain things in your relationship with that person with whom you're about to have a crucial conversation. You've been dwelling on it. And you end up telling yourself a story. Paul goes, look, you got to dwell on something different. you got to change the things you're dwelling on, the things you let your mind dwell on, so that you'll change the story you tell. Because you always tell a story when someone takes an action. You evaluate it. You assess it. You tell a story about it. It happens in half a heartbeat. But it happens. I've watched this in my own family. A couple of years ago, Donna and I were not um, thriving in our marriage. Let me say it that way. We weren't going to get a divorce. We didn't, ha- we didn't hate each other at all. We loved each other deeply, but we were not thriving in our marriage. And I was, 
you know, I've spent 36 years with my wife, and I plan on spending another 36 years with her or so, and, and I want it to go well, and I want us to thrive together, but our, it just wasn't thriving. There's not a lot of happiness in it for a while, and one of the things that helped us, among others, was the fact that I realized I was telling stories about my wife, clever stories that justified my behavior, my emotions. My wife, uh, if you were to ask her enough, she would tell you that she has a tendency to be a bit of a pessimist. And I'm a bit of an optimist. And those have conflicts sometimes. And we were in a spot where Donna would do some kind of an action or have some kind of response to something that went on out there. And immediately I'd feel bad toward, toward her and I'd think bad things about her. And, I, and we had this problem in our marriage, this pain that was in our marriage. And after a while and after hearing Joseph Grenny talk and after reading through Philippians 4, I'm like, oh, I know what our problem is, at least in this area, I know. The problem is I'm telling clever stories about my wife. I'm telling stories that begin with words like, you always. Or clever stories about her that begin, you never. All around that pessimistic kind of perspective. You do this, don't you? You who are married, you can, you can see it in your marriage. You have children or parents, you can see it in your family relationships. You have a job, you, you, you work with other co-workers, you can see it there. Ladies, your husband, sometimes he, he'll do that thing he does. You, you know the one. And as soon as he does that thing, you're like, in your mind, you don't say it to him, but in your mind, in a heartbeat, you go, you always do that thing. Or men, you know, your wife, you know, she's, she's going along and she, she'll do that thing she does. When it happens, you go, I knew it, you never you never do it this way. You always do it that way. You never, look, you know, as soon as you start telling stories that have like flash words like always and never, you've stopped telling the truth. When you tell stories about your spouse that begin, you always or you never, you're not telling the truth to yourself. Do you know how I know? Nobody's that consistent. Nobody always does anything. Nobody never does anything. Nobody's that consistent. So you're like, you always, you never. Nuh-uh. Because nobody's that consistent. Nobody's that good. Nobody's that bad. But you tell yourself a story. And the reason you tell yourself that story is because you've been dwelling on things that are not helpful and are not true. Some of you know my wife really well. Some of you know that my wife is a fun-loving, joy-filled, laughter-loving, mischievous person. She's beautiful. But those weren't the things I was dwelling on about my wife. And so the stories I were telling were not those stories. And so Paul gives direction to us in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, dwell on these things in your household in your marriage, in, with your children, with your parents, with your co-workers, with the people in your oikos, dwell on these things. He says in verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and always and never are not included in what's true, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Literally, literally when he says, think about these things, he's using a, a phrase or a term that means to let your mind sit on these things. See, wherever you let your mind sit, wherever you let your mind dwell, that's going to shape the stories that you tell about your loved ones, about your colleagues. You know what's amazing? How much the stories you tell shape the emotions you feel. And when you get the emotions you feel in line because you're telling yourself the right stories, it changes the way you have crucial conversations. Whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Jesus, I pray for that for us. I want your peace to be with us. I want it in my own family. I want it in my marriage. I want it in the households of everybody who's here, everybody who's watching this on the podcast, everybody. I want it for my neighbors who don't know you yet, Lord. I want your peace to be with us. Lord, would you lead us in the stories we tell? Would you lead us in the things that we let our mind dwell on? Would you shape us in our relationships from the inside? toward the outside. Lord, thank you. We love you. Amen.